Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. Hair loss is one of the most concerning visual aspects of aging. And I will say most women that I see and definitely my podcast listeners list that as one of their biggest concerns as we're heading into this menopausal season. So today's entire conversation is about the different forms of hair loss. What is really going on so you can distinguish what's really causing it so you can actually address the cause at the root of the cause. So join me today to listen to what do you need to do about hair loss and how can you take proactive steps to regrow healthy, happy hair? So in this episode of Menopause Mastery, I want to talk all about hair loss. You know, I have been pretty honest, honestly, online and even in the podcast talking about my experience over my lifetime with hair loss. And I've experienced three major shedding events. And I think most women out here, a lot of women have probably experienced this. And, you know, the shedding events to number one, I have baby hair. My baby hair never grew up. So you know how baby's hair is very fine and thin and you can kind of see through it on the scalp. Well, honestly, my hair never grew up from that point. So I've always had very thin, very fine hair. And so anything that might change my hair or cause a shedding event is pretty extraordinary because I don't have much to begin with. A matter of fact, I used to joke that I could wear my dental um, orthodontic rubber bands as, as my hair rubber band because I had so little hair. And so, you know, I've experienced it myself and I know it can be traumatic because especially for women, you know, we are judged and we internally judge ourselves based on our appearance. And hair is definitely one of those things that um, I think most of us may take for granted, but it is also something that defines in a lot of ways beauty or acceptance or being virile and healthy. And so when we have experiences where we're losing hair, that becomes um, a source of pain and suffering. So the first time I had a massive hair shedding event was in my mid-20s when I had been... Um, Living in Chicago, working an extraordinary amount of hours, I was in a relationship that was failing and I was very unhappy in Chicago because it was also freezing and it was gray, dark and cold. And I'm mostly been from Southern Climes where we have 300 days a year that are sunny, if not more. And so I also was probably dealing with a little bit of seasonal affective disorder and probably at that time some vitamin D deficiency, to be honest. But I remember my stress was extraordinary and it seemed like every time I brushed my hair, I would have just this clump of hair in my hairbrush. And, you know, at the time, I just couldn't figure out what was really going on. And it was, you know, I was losing it from all over. So sometimes where you lose your hair is actually going to give you an indication of maybe what's going on. So that was my first one. And, you know, I sort of made it past that. 
my second hair shedding event is, you know, years later, I was actually, I was actually a practicing nutritional clinician and I had been on thyroid hormone for a long time and typical of probably people in this arena. You know, I want to be natural. I don't like taking medications. And so I got the idea that maybe if I did everything correctly, if I ate all the right foods, made sure all my vitamins and minerals were accurate, everything was good, maybe I could work my way off my thyroid medication. So I slowly reduced the amount I was taking over the course of six months. And what ensued was a pretty big hair loss event. My hair takes a very long time to grow out. So it grows maybe a quarter of an inch a month, maybe. And so that caused a significant hair loss event. And then the last one was after said viral infection (laughs) that shall not be named. I had a shedding event that is now known to be quite common after the long haul experience of a viral infection. And so I've experienced that myself. And to be honest, um, if anybody looks at my pictures or sees videos of me, I actually have tape and extensions. I never had long hair. I never had thick hair. And as I was losing my hair and it was coming, you know, growing back in, I had actually one of my clients that had had experienced similar things and had gotten extensions. And I was just so envious. And when I had the extensions put in, I remember tearing up in the mirror and looking for the first time and going, wow, I've never had hair that made it past my shoulders. I've never had hair that looked thick. At the time, my hair was thinning so much that it was also something I just couldn't stand. And so looking in the mirror and seeing this long hair, the long hair that you see now, really boosted my confidence. And so I can understand when someone doesn't like how they look in the mirror and they want to feel this confidence. And for me, hair was a big part of that. So I still have my extensions in. And you know, some people may look at that and say, Betty, you're being fake. And others may look at that and say... Oh, I completely understand. And everybody can have their own opinion. For me, it was um, a very much an emotional boost for me to feel like I had pretty hair. I could use, I could actually put in a ponytail and it wouldn't look sad. So I understand that. So today I really want to go through the different causes of hair loss and what you can do about it. And it's particularly why it seems to happen when we're going through perimenopause and menopause. So we're going to start with the different types of hair loss, right? So we have a bunch of different hair loss, different reasons, different causes. And to be honest, we lose around 50 to 100 hairs a day, right? So when you're brushing your hair or washing your hair, it's not uncommon to lose about 100. And then, but the thing is, is your hair is always growing back in. And hair, when it grows, we have a situation where our hair falls out. It falls out from the follicle. So think of it, the, the, the root pulls out. And we have a dormancy phase where that hair root and the follicle area goes dormant for a little while. And then it starts to regrow. So we can also have changes in how long that time period is between hair falling out and the regrowth period or the dormancy period. So what are the common causes of alopecia? All right. So alopecia is hair loss. And so obviously major hormonal fluctuations. Any woman that's ever had a baby after having a baby and that rise of progesterone and estrogen and then that serious drop of progesterone actually causes an extraordinary amount of hair loss. It also caused it to grow, but it it does cause some hair loss. But any major hormonal fluctuation. So obviously a woman going through her 40s and 50s and going into menopause is going to see hair loss as a common symptom, very common symptom. And then you can also have, obviously, stress plays a big component 
thyroid hormone changes, the loss of testosterone. So a lot of women don't know that. Most people think testosterone is going to cause hair loss if it's too high. But the loss of testosterone also can cause hair loss and the loss of estrogen and progesterone as we go through menopause. And then if somebody's on hormone replacement and maybe they have a lot of testosterone and another hormone called DHT, we're going to talk about in a minute, those androgens, those masculizing hormones can also cause hair loss because they get expressed in the hair follicle. So hormone fluctuations can be a big part of it. The other thing is we know almost 50% of people have hereditary hair loss right? So it's in our DNA. This type of hair loss is typically gradual. And in men, it's often receding or bald spots or thinning around the crown of the head. So the very top of the head for women. And so that is actually a big, big cause. So if you're starting to lose hair, it's good to look at all the other individuals in your, in your family and sort of look around and see if anybody else sort of fits that picture as well. Medication. So um, obviously managing thyroid hormones and especially if you have like an autoimmune condition like Hashimoto's where you might get fluctuations in symptoms and fluctuations in thyroid function, that can almost feel like whack-a-mole. Your autoimmune conditions like lupus, PCOS, scleroderma, all have hair loss as a common autoimmune condition symptom. And then there's also alopecia areata, which is an autoimmune condition that causes sudden patchy hair loss. It's often, you know, in, in big circles or, or you can have complete alopecia uh, totalis where the body drops all the hair and um, it's, it is an autoimmune condition where the, the body is actually attacking, the immune system is attacking those hair follicles. So birth control pills, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, acne medication. And then a lot of the drugs that we use for arthritic pain, even antidepressants, blood pressure medications, and cardiovascular drugs can all cause hair loss also. And then obviously, anybody that's gone through chemotherapy knows that the majority of chemotherapy, a lot of it will cause hair loss as well. Stress, like I said before, is always a big, big cause. And it's one of those that a lot of people don't think about. And so it's important to look at that as a possible uh, cause if you can't find any other cause. And then hairstyles and chemicals. So the more stuff we put on our hair, so if we're coloring our hair, if we're using harsh straighteners, those chemicals can cause the hair to thin and break. It can also cause damage at the roots. So you want to pay attention to the things you use. And obviously, we always recommend using more organic and clean hair products if you can. I know I quit coloring my hair back in my 30s with the understanding that probably somewhere in my life, I might want to color it all the time. Now I've been letting my gray grow in. And honestly, I'm going to let it go gray when it does. Coloring your hair can definitely cause damage to the hair. And especially if the hair is already going through thinning and becoming more fine and the texture changing, that damage from those chemicals is going to make it worse. And then vitamin deficiencies, things like riboflavin, folate, B12, biotin, your minerals like zinc can all play a significant role in hair loss and hair growth. And then we can have other situations like protein deficiency. So your hair is actually made of protein. And if you're not getting enough protein and collagen in your diet, your hair is going to become more brittle, more, more uh, thin and fine, and you could also lose hair. So we have a bunch of different causes of hair loss. How can you tell which one is what? So overall thinning of your hair. So if you're thinning, your hair's thinning all over, especially across the crown and even on the sides, often that is hormonal and it will be something probably like cortisol and thyroid function. 
Again, if you see maybe a receding hairline, almost like a male pattern baldness or the crown of the head, that could be a sign of androgen alopecia. So male hormone related, but of course we make those hormones too. And then we can have handfuls of hair. So if I'm experiencing handfuls and definitely patchy spacious, that may be signs of an autoimmune condition. Let's talk about the most common one, androgenic alopecia, which is what causes kind of female pattern baldness, that crown of the hair baldness is often because of some genetics. So we have some genetics that affect how our androgens get metabolized. So our androgens are things like DHEA, testosterone, androstenedione. And then we also make another hormone called DHT. So DHT is a metabolite of an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase. And DHT is around seven times stronger than testosterone. And so DHT will cause male pattern baldness. So the men that lose hair, especially early in life, often have much higher DHT levels. And what's interesting is they lose hair on their head, but they start growing hair on their arms and back and chest. So DHT causes that hair loss on the scalp surface, but it will often cause hair growth elsewhere. So one of the things that I never thought I would have because I've never been very hairy was the peach fuzz on the face. So women that go through menopause will often say, I I have this sort of peach fuzz on my face now, and maybe I'm getting a few little chin hairs. That's because we, we as, as just an aging population, make more DHT as we get older. So if I'm making a lot of DHT, what happens is DHT is expressed in the hair follicle. So it's an enzyme in the hair follicle. And so if it's, if that's what's happening, DHT can cause, cause the hair to fall out and then it slows the regrowth pattern. So it increases that dormancy phase. If I'm experiencing hair loss like that, it may very well be DHT levels. What's interesting is one of the more common tests we use in our practice, and we use it definitely in our hormone reset program, because you can't really tell what's going on with your hormones, both metabolic and sex hormones, unless you look at them. And you got to look at them in a way that's effective. It's a thing called a dried urine hormone metabolite test called the Dutch test. And that test can tell you, are you, do you have enough of your hormones like testosterone and estradiol and progesterone? But it can also show you how much DHT you're making and how much you prefer that pathway. So if you have a preference to amplify the 5-alpha reductase pathway, you're probably going to experience potentially hair loss and and other symptoms because it affects things even with the cortisol pathway. So we can see that there. So we can identify is that really what's going on. Sometimes the hair loss is not because of high serum circulating levels of androgens. So I see this a lot in my practice where somebody doesn't have high testosterone, their DHEA is normal, their DHT is even clinically low in the serum, but they're still experiencing that hair loss. And it's because they're expressing that 5-alpha reductase enzyme and the DHT at the hair follicle in the scalp. DHT also causes a lot of your uh, dermatitis and other things. It increases sebaceous gland activity in the scalp also. So sometimes people will get dermatitis and other things, separatic dermatitis because, because of DHT. So when we have to address it, first we want to know, is it in the serum is it in the urine? Is it too high circulating or is it the activity at the hair follicle itself? Because that tells you whether you can use something topically or whether you want to use something systemically. So that's the most common cause for women with menopause. 
what about cortisol? What is really cortisol doing that causes that hair loss for women? You know, because I always wondered, why would cortisol do that? Because if you have alopecia areata, usually the first line defense is to give a corticosteroid, right? To suppress the immune system, to calm it down so it quits attacking the hair follicle. So you'd think that maybe cortisol wouldn't do that. But high cortisol levels from prolonged protracted stress reduce the synthesis and accelerate the breakdown of hyaluronic acid and these proteoglycans in the scalp by about 40%. So this deters the normal activity of follicle growth and can lead to hair loss. So the hair falls out, it gets deterred from regrowing because cortisol is affecting the actual growth pattern. And so it's important to know that one of those things is happening because a lot of times I have women that come to me and I know I, I'm probably speaking for every functional medicine and nutritionist practitioner. Most people think that it's their thyroid. And then many times they get put on thyroid, but nothing happens with their hair. And it probably is cortisol is part of the problem. And especially if you've been put on thyroid medication and your symptoms aren't getting better, nine times out of 10, there is something going on with cortisol. Let's talk about your, your thyroid. So the thyroid includes the stimulation to the development of the root of the hair. So if I have a slow thyroid, hair loss could happen because it's just not getting stimulated. Nothing, just like every engine in your, in your vehicle is not getting stimulated, your hair follicle isn't. And then if it's too high, you can get hair loss also because it accelerates that loss pattern. So thyroid can definitely cause that. And then not just the androgens in the menopausal woman cause hair loss. We could also lose hair because of the loss of estrogen and progesterone. So just like a pregnant woman who ha had probably a lot of hair growth in the last you know, trimester or two of pregnancy, right when all those hormones decline rapidly at birth, women will experience a pretty significant shedding because of the loss of progesterone and estrogen. And so that is also a common cause for hair loss in menopause. So if we were to look at all those different things, and then obviously zinc deficiency, your B vitamins, there's, there's definitely nutrients out there that you can add that are important to having your hair grow and stay healthy. But nine times out of 10, there's an underlying cause. So the first thing you got to do is you got to test for it. You need to know what exactly is going on because the different medications that you choose or the different treatments that you choose depend on the cause. So we often do several different tests. Obviously, you can go to a dermatologist that can actually look at your hair follicles themselves and tell you, are they declining? Are they um, in a dormancy phase that's too long? Is it an autoimmune process? But then the next question becomes, what are you going to use to treat it? So, so some of the hair loss treatments depend on what's happening. So we often obviously run full panel hormones. And then we also look at the hormone metabolism because we want to know, is, is it hormonally based? Is that's what's really happening? Because then it, it helps us determine what type of medication or in a lot of cases, nutrients we might be using. So one of the most common medications are things like Rogaine or otherwise known as Minoxidil. Minoxidil um, can be used as a non-prescriptive hair loss medication in a topical. And this one is mostly designed for androgenic alopecia. So that baldness that happens because of the excess production of androgens in the hair follicle and or circulating. And it's obviously very popular 
and it's usually a liquid or a foam or a shampoo, the important part is it's going to take several months for this to show because it's stimulating the new growth of hair. And if it's in a dormancy phase, it may take a couple months for that to start. So on average, it can take at least four months to see results. There's also another uh, drug called finasteride, and that is a hair loss medication originally designed for men, and it's taken orally. And this is also designed to treat androgenic alopecia or male pattern baldness, and it can help stimulate new growth. So in some studies, finasteride has shown uh, to be effective in women, but it has greater side effects with changes in libido and sexual function. So this is this would be one that I would kind of pay attention to if you were going to use it uh, because it's it may possibly change those things for you. And it can be also put into a topical. We use a lot of prescriptive topicals that could possibly have that put in. Uh, one of the more common drugs that's used is actually a drug for hypertension. It's called spironolactone. And spironolactone um, is often used in androgenic um, conditions like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, because it changes the metabolism of that 5-alpha reductase enzyme. So it reduces the production of DHT. And, and that same 5-alpha reductase can influence your blood pressure. So spironolactone is actually a diuretic. And again, it was started, it was used originally for blood pressure. So it's being used in off-label use for hair loss because it, it targets that 5-alpha uh, reductase pathway. So it is very commonly used. Again, it is a diuretic. So you want to make sure that you're paying attention to your hydration and other things because you don't want to add that on top to a already dehydrated body. But it is used off-label a lot for hair loss for women. Duasteride is an oral prescription to treat prostate problems in men. And it may also be a treatment option for men with androgenic alopecia. And it's very similar in the fact that it's possibly slightly more effective than finasteride, but it shouldn't be taken by women, particularly reproductive years. Neither one of those, duasteride or finasteride, should be taken by women in reproductive years because it could cause um, fetal development problems. So if somebody could get pregnant, you don't want to use it. And then there's also low-dose midoxidil, which is a very low-dose oral pill that has shown to help increase hair growth over time. So we're looking at all the medications, right? So what are some of the side effects of most of these? This can be things like more body hair growth, right? So you might get more hairy elsewhere, darkening of the body hair. Again, like I said, all of the ones that affect androgen activity may affect sex drive. You know, uh, some of them have shown to increase breast size. And then especially the diuretics like spironolactone, if you're not getting enough water, dizziness, lightheadedness, nausea, headaches could all be problematic. And then spironolactone is also one of those things that you want to be careful with um, if you're reproductive years. So that would work on the kind of sex hormone problem. If it's thyroid, we got to manage the thyroid. And often nutritionally, those, there's other reasons why thyroid function may not be working. And that could be things like zinc deficiency, vitamin deficiencies like your B vitamins, and also uh, iodine deficiency or excess selenium, which is a micronutrient that's very important to thyroid function, could all be part of that. And like I said, if my stress has been prolonged and protracted, I may get a double whammy. And I think this is true for me, especially in that very first um, massive sort of hair loss that I went through. I had been put on thyroid medication, but my stress was extraordinary. And when your stress is very high and you're metabolizing cortisol, 
down a less favorable pathway, which is what your body does as it's trying to recover from this prolonged protracted stress event. So essentially, it's trying to kind of buffer that sort of um, that fight or flight activity. And when I overproduce that metabolized cortisol, it can block the thyroid receptor for the thyroid hormone T3. And when that happens, your levels could be normal in the blood, but they may not be able to affect the receptor on the cell. And so your thyroid may look normal on labs, even if your doctor does a full thyroid panel, but they may not be normal. And so stress, you have to come at it from multiple ways, protecting your sleep, eating properly, getting adequate rest and restoration, not over-exercising. So stress can play a pretty significant role in that function, and it's going to affect the thyroid pretty heavily. And then if we look at the nutrient deficiencies, so making sure that we're getting enough of the B vitamins, the zinc, your minerals, and also collagen and protein. I can't begin to tell you how much I work with women, particularly women struggling with osteoporosis, and their protein intake is woefully inadequate for the day. I know a lot of women, you know, they'll get into their 50s and 60s and they're like, I just don't really want to eat a lot of protein. And I'm like, you do need to eat a lot of protein because we need to hold on to our muscle mass. And as we get older, it's very hard for us to hold on to our muscle mass. And if we're not getting enough of the amino acids in our proteins, we are going to lose muscle mass, but we will also lose hair. And so getting adequate protein, which is going to be about 100 to 120 grams of total protein a day. And the three most important ones are lysine, methionine, and leucine. Those amino acids specifically are extremely important because they help you build muscle. And we need all of the essentials, but those are going to be the three most important. And they are underrepresented in the vegetable world. And so it's hard to do that if you're vegetarian or vegan. You have to be very conscientious about how you get your proteins. It's not that you can't, but you got to be really, really thoughtful about it. So those things can obviously contribute to it. So what do you do when you have lost hair? Right. So if you've lost a lot of hair, you got to be kind to yourself because you got to recognize that it's it's a growth pattern and the average person grows about a half inch to an inch of hair a month. Right. So if you want to have shoulder length hair and you've lost a third of it, it's going to take a while for you to get shoulder length hair from that third that fell out. So you want to be mindful of that. And and so the other scenario is what else can I do about that? So there are things, like I said, I have tape and hair extensions and tape and hair extensions are, are pretty protective of very thin, fine hair. And they basically have medical tape that tape around right at the root of your hair on each side and hold just a little thin veil of hair between the two pieces of medical tape and allows you to wash and curl and swim and do all those things. But it allows you to have a little more hair while it's growing out. You have to get them moved every six to eight weeks, but, but. They allow you to at least have hair that <laughs> that looks the way maybe you wanted it to. And like I said, my hair never looked this good. And so it's hard for me to imagine giving it up because even once my hair completely grows back in from my last shedding event from the virus, it would never look like it does today. And so I I completely understand why anybody would have hair extensions because the technology is there today to do it without damaging the hair. So you can also do things like hair extensions. There's lots of different ways to do that. I have no financial interest in those products. And then obviously you can take the right nutrients. You know, and I mentioned several of them, getting adequate zinc, your B vitamins, um, even things like saw palmetto, stinging nettle, 
all help shut down that 5-alpha reductase. We use a lot of those ingredients to help women with hair loss so they don't have to use the medications. So you can use a lot of over-the-counter products to help with hair loss. I hope you found this to be a very enlightening conversation about hair and what happens. And your big take-home messages today are, if you're losing hair, get tested so you can know why. Start looking at your nutrition and your stress and make sure you're getting adequate nutrients and sleep and all those other things. And when it's not enough, you can start looking at some of the topicals and some of the natural interventions to help reduce that hair loss. Thank you for joining me on Menopause Mastery, and I can't wait to talk to you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here, and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com. 